Hello and welcome to episode two of Don't Overdo It, a podcast by the Mount Gambier Library. This episode sees us coming to you side stage from this year's National Simultaneous Storytime event held at the City Hall here in Mount Gambier. This is a yearly event where a chosen picture book written and illustrated by an Australian author is read on the same day at the same time simultaneously in schools, libraries, childcare centres and homes right across the country. And 2021 sees us with a space theme. This year's book is called Give Me Space by Phil Bunting and our audience of 100 school children has gathered here today to hear a reading of the book by astronaut Dr Shannon Walker as it's being beamed live from the International Space Station. Here with us in person, though, is another very special guest who conveniently lives right here in Mount Gambier. His name is Josh Richards, and he's a physicist, explosives engineer, soldier, stand-up comedian, science advisor, author, and astronaut candidate for a one-way trip to Mars. You heard that right. One way to Mars. After tackling the hard questions from our very cute and enthusiastic audience members, we've asked Josh to stick around and chat with us for episode two of Don't Overdo It. So why Mars, Josh? <laughs> Straight to the point, why not? Why, why, Mars? Not? why not? Um, no, in seriousness, why not? So where it really came from for me was halfway through my physics degree, I read a paper uh, by a guy named Bruce McCandless uh, talking about how the first people going to Mars would probably have to go one way. And I remember reading it at the time and thinking, why wouldn't we? Like, why wouldn't you just go? Just do it. Like, stop stuffing around. What's so special about Earth? Let's go. And so uh, I sort of tucked that away in the back of my head for the next 10 years or so. Uh, I did a time with the military, I got involved with stand-up comedy and I'd finished my first show at the Edinburgh Fringe talking about the end of the world uh, and talking about the actual show itself finished by saying that if the world was going to end, maybe we'd finally come together as a species and actually start exploring other planets and going exploring the universe. And the idea was that the next show was going to be all about going one way to Mars. Uh, that's not the way it turned out. I instead dressed up as a giant koala and started screaming at people for 45 minutes at a time. We're going to come back and talk yeah. about that. <laughs> <laughs> but um, that, that idea for a show had been sitting there for a long time and as once the koala show was done, I immediately sat down straight after Edinburgh Fringe 2012 to start writing this comedy show about sending people one way to Mars. I typed one way to Mars into Google and uh, Mars One popped up. They'd made, made their first public announcement about three or four days before saying they'd be taking astronaut they'd be taking applications for astronauts 
They didn't care where you came from, what your background was, um, as long as you're over 18, fit and healthy, and had the right kind of personality for something like this. Uh, they wanted to hear from you. So that's pretty much where I got started, and uh, I've just progressively sort of gotten shortlisted every step of the way ever since so yeah so what was your first application to mars one was it like a big brother audition job application what did it, you have to do what did they want to know about it was you? a bit of both yeah. so uh we had to submit a video they had to see what we looked like kind of on t- on on video as such uh answering questions like what's your sense of humor and uh what would you take with you to mars and all of that that was the public profile and that sort of that is still a publicly available profile. You can go and look that stupid video up. <laughs> we um, will. Yeah. <laughs> we'll put that but, in the um, show notes oh, later great, on. <laughs> great, great. Um, but it's all there. And the, what wasn't shown to the public, I suppose, was the much larger application went in behind that. So I wrote several 5,000-word essays talking about uh, a time I was scared, talking about a time I showed leadership. Uh, the, the public profile stuff's a lot of fun, but what was in behind that was much, much more serious. Mm-hmm. So... It was a bit of a job application. It feels like it's an ongoing job application, to be honest with you. Uh, but that was the initial sort of applying and seeing if, uh, it, if you were going to be a fit. And how many people, do you know how many people initially applied along so with you? They had 202,586 people start their application process. Um, I believe about 16,500 finished it. And of those, it was only about 4,500 they kind of took seriously. Uh, and they actually shortlisted that group down further to 1,058 at, within a matter of months. So applications opened April 2013, closed at the end of August 2013, and by the end of 2013 they'd cut the group down to a, about 1,000 people. So. And how are they Are they keeping in contact with you along this process, or did you? was it a set and forget, I'll send this off and if I hear something I will and I'll get on my life regardless? Initially it was very much set and forget. Uh, it was very clear, like, here's the process, apply, uh, you'll hear from us when you hear from us. Since then, especially since they've shortlisted the group down to the final 100 that we have today, it's become more personal. Uh, we we know the CEO, we know the CTO, like, we know the folks involved with it, and we all know each other as well. So it's it's become much, much more of a community rather than sort of competing against each other or anything like that. There were elements of that early on. Uh, there were definitely some folks who were kind of making out that they were better candidates than others and things like that. But the folks who remain really are... We're, we're a big family, to be honest with you, and we would catch up with each other now. We would catch up with each other outside of, of the whole Mars thing anyway. So, Yeah, and, and there are obviously people from literally all over the world. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so you've obviously made some great connections with people yeah. that you might not have otherwise anyway. Well, so my last stand-up show was in 2016. I... The whole metaphor of going one way to Mars was actually going to be used as a way of me getting out of stand-up. I didn't want to do stand-up anymore in 2012. And so I was sort of going, oh, I'm gonna, I'll turn this into a little bit of a sciencey show and talk about le- letting things go and moving on. Uh, and then Mars One came along and actually sucked me back into it for a few more years. My last comedy show was 2016 and I was determined this is going to be it and I used it as an excuse to try and meet as many candidates as I could. So I did a round-the-world tour, I flew to South Africa, to the UK, uh, went through Iceland, spent a few months in the US, um, wound up in, in Israel of all places, back to the US, down to Mexico and then kind of backtracked again. And every step of the way it was reaching out saying, hey, are you around? Can we meet up? Love to have coffee. Let's have dinner. Like just actually start to get to know each other. 
um, I met about half of them uh, during that trip, and that was wonderful. So, and good people, like-minded people, interestingly diverse people. So, um, I've I've talked about it a few times in different places, but I've actually been surprised by a few candidates, folks who I might have initially written off, and sort of thought, ah, not not the sort of person I go to Mars with. You meet them in person, and you're like, no, no, there's a genuine, there's a really good connection here. And on the flip side of that, people who I might have had a really high opinion of, uh, I then meet them in person and go, no, this is this is never going to work. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, folks who I'd, I felt like I'd, knew, I'd known for years uh, and then you meet them in person and it's like, no, this is a terrible idea. Like, we are... We're like so like-minded that we're not compatible. So the idea of living on Mars with these people, how how would that work? What's the living situation once you get there? It, so there's, we're talking about two men and two women, uh, and that's less to do... The inevitable question there is, like, babies on Mars, mm. and that's not what it's about. Um, it's very much about representation and diversity of thought. Um, there's a few different elements, there's a few different sort of social dynamics that are required and it needs gender balance to do that. Um, what we're really looking for is four really diverse people that are good housemates. Like that's that's pretty much what it boils down to. So you don't want all the skills for like all the medical skills in one person because what happens if your doctor's killed or you know, what happens if there's an explosion that damages the life support system and your one engineer is the only person who knows how to repair that? So we're going to imagine that, Josh, you are living on Mars. In the plan of this, do we get to see you living? Are we interacting with you somehow? Are you sending information back to us? How does that part so work? all of the above, basically. Yeah. Uh, so one of the main things that Mars One's laid out right from the start has been there's going to be two communication satellites, one in a what we call an aerocentric um, orbit, so it will be literally sitting directly above where our base is, um, the same way that geostationary satellites sit in the same space in, in space in our sky, we'll have a, a, basically an artificial star directly over our base all the time. Our communications go up to that satellite and then they're either directly beamed back to Earth or every two years or so the sun's in the way. So we actually need to have a second satellite that's in orbit around the sun that we can bounce those communications off to then get it back to Earth. The big issue, the big thing that most folks these days have a, a problem with, there's no instantaneous communication. Right. So Mars and Earth are anywhere between 3 and 20 light minutes apart. Mm -hmm. So if I pick up the phone and try and call mum, it'll take three minutes for me, at minimum of three minutes for that my initial high for her to hear it and another three minutes for her to say hi back. So I'll be sitting there for six minutes waiting for a reply. Nice. So the smarter thing is to record a video, tell folks what you're up to, a bit of a video journal, send it back, go and have a coffee, have lunch or whatever, and then wait for the, the video reply to come back. When is this going to happen? How long have you got to process that, this? That's the big question. I've had a long time to process this. Uh, <laughs> um, so, yeah, got involved September 2012, so it's been an ongoing thing. Um, and one of the big things that Mars One's look for is candidates that self-reflect. Mm -hmm. So every step of the way, it's been me asking myself, am I the right person for this? For a, quite a while there, I really worried that I might not be. Um, I'm still questioning if I am the right person for it. Maybe my personality is not right, but I've had sort of nine years now to come to terms with a lot of it. They're talking about 2031. Um, I think the way that SpaceX is racing ahead at the moment, so SpaceX is potentially one of our launch suppliers, the way that SpaceX is moving ahead with much larger craft that could send 
much larger groups of people, we could be talking about sooner. Uh, we could be talking about there could be delays as well. So space is really unpredictable. The space industry itself is really unpredictable. Um, it always costs more than you expect and it always takes longer or shorter than what you expect as well. So, And is that exciting that it could be a phone call and go, hey, Josh, pack your bags, we're going in three years or... I think it, How are you living your life around that unknown For timeline? a while I did that. For yep. a long while, especially from about 2014 forwards, um, I, was, I had a backpack, I didn't have any base, I didn't have anywhere to be. It was literally like I would bounce around and do school visits and talk about all of this, but not actually have anywhere that I'd call home. Um, I was waiting for that email, I was waiting for that phone call to sort of say, hey, selection's going ahead, we're going to shortlist the next group. And... I visited Mount Gambier March 2019. Um, I came over here to do my entry-level cave course. I wanted to learn to start cave diving uh, and I was doing that entry-level course then and we were waiting on an announcement. Um, literally the same week that I was doing my course, we were waiting for this announcement and the announcement never came and it was sort of on the back of several other announcements that didn't come. And I'd been basically living my life on pause for about five or so, well, seven, seven years at that stage. Wow, that, um, that's a lot. It, it, yeah, it was starting to rub, to be yeah. honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> so when I, while I was here, when that announcement didn't come through, I, I already had a few things lined up. I had a house sit. I had a couple of house sits lined up through 2019. Uh, but I made the decision once those house sits were complete, I would come back to Mount Gambia um, I was going to work in the dive shop that was here at the time. Um, I was going to sort of base myself here, not let go of Mars One, but really start to live life here on Earth rather than waiting for a call that would take me away from it. Rather than sort of always being on hold, I was going to start making the most of the time that I had. And then sort of if this stuff happened, if things started to progress, that's great. But I wasn't really living life properly, waiting for someone to email me. So... Ever since then, I yeah, I've come and gone from the mount a little bit, uh, just through circumstance. But I definitely love living here. This is definitely the place that I want to be. Um, and if and when Mars One sort of progresses, um, that's awesome. I'll I'll move ahead with that. Like I'll I'll make that decision. I'll cross that bridge when I get to yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. But I can't keep waiting for it. And I suppose that's a good way to think about it. It's understandable that you could be investing so much of your mental space to your life on Mars, but at the same time you are ignoring your life on Earth. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and they're equally as valuable. I, I published um, my second book last year during, during COVID and it gave me an opportunity to sit down and sort of really start querying some of this stuff. And the, the book was based on a show, the, the show that I did in 2016, talking about what do you do with your last 10 years on Earth? Yeah. Writing that show, I started to really think about, hey, what am I doing with my time? And that started to change a few things. Sitting down and writing the book made me really face the fact that I, I wasn't living life on Earth. I was talking about all this stuff, but what I was really focused on was what was going to happen maybe in 10 years' time instead. So um, the shift really occurred publishing that book and sort of going, hey, I actually need to make I need to be serious about this. If I'm going to talk about what I'd do with my last 10 years on Earth, I need to actually start doing that and moving to the mount and doing more cave diving and writing more books and all that sort of stuff was actually what I realised I really care about. Wonderful. And we're so glad. And that's what's brought you 
So much of that is what's brought you here today. You wandered into the Mount Gambier Library yep. a couple of months ago <laughs> and I and I actually served you on that day yep. and I can't remember, I think you were doing some printing. I was trying to do some printing, yeah. trying to work out the printers, yep. And we just started chatting and next minute I have this amazing story <laughs> in front of me going, wow, and I run off. Uh, you left and I literally ran out the back of the library and I spoke to our children's development coordinator, Kelly, and our programming coordinator, Christy, and I went, I've just been talking to this guy. You won't believe <laughs> this story and we've we've got you here today which we are so so glad uh, it's been a pleasure i want to talk about keith the koala of though. course if yeah. you i um, encourage everyone to google josh richard's name you'll see some photos and one is of a grown man dressed in a koala suit <laughs> tell me about tell me about keith the koala so what originally happened was that i ordered a giant panda suit for a christmas um christmas party and started talking about using this panda suit in a comedy show and a friend turned around and said, no, no, it needs to be a koala. Like an English friend went, no, you need to be a koala of course, yep. naturally. So I ordered this koala suit instead and uh, it was this hideous thing. It was basically like a giant sleeping bag. Um, <laughs> I've seen the photos. It's, it's revolting. Not the, it's not the slickest looking it's costume revolting, I've ever seen. <laughs> honestly. Like, and I'd put about a kilo of sweat into it every show yep. that I did. It was disgusting. Um, and I'd paint my nose black and put on these giant ears and create this voice and Keith would basically he was supposed to be Keith the anger management koala so the the backstory was that Keith was doing community service because of a violent outburst um, and he was going around and telling everyone about anger management while showing a startling lack of it Um, (laughs) Keith's background was also that he was ex-military he was ex he was an ex-army koala combat koala yeah great backstory and it gave me an opportunity to share stories, real stories, things that had, had happened um, that I'd literally never talked about. Um, there's one particular incident, especially when I, was, well, when I was with the Royal Marines, where four of us nearly died of hypothermia one night mm-hmm. and um, I ended up having to do the casualty evacuation on that and um, I didn't talk to anyone about it for two and a half years. Um, I kind of mentioned that something had happened to a few friends um, during Edinburgh Fringe in 2011, and uh, they were mortified by the, the story, um, but I didn't give them much detail. Keith was a way of me being able to share that. Mm. So Keith, and, w- and was that intentional? No, it was very deliberate yep. right from the yes, start. So sure. he was he was a mask. Yep. He was absolutely a mask for me to wear to be able to share this sort of stuff and yep. sort of go well. Keith's telling the story, and yes. then once Keith had told the story, I could start to talk about it. So. I ended up cancelling the run in 2012 um, after about eight shows, I think. Like, it was supposed to be a 23-show run and there were complications with the venue and I cancelled the rest of the run. But Keith had done what he needed to do. Like, he'd shared that particular story. Um, he'd shared a few other stories as well and I could start to talk about that stuff. Um, and it, it ended up being immensely therapeutic for me. The flip side of that is everyone adores the violent, screaming, angry koala and they want me to keep coming back and performing as it, and it's actually something that's very much linked to trauma. Yes. Um, so I ended up setting fire to the suit in 2016. <laughs> like, I filmed myself burning the wow. suit. Yeah. and if that ain't therapeutic, I don't oh, know what I is. put on an, another koala suit. Like, I, I bought a koala onesie to set fire to my koala onesie, yes. Um, yes. as you do. But, yeah. uh, no, I made a big show-and-tell about setting fire to this yeah. suit so that people wouldn't ask me to do Keith the Angerman koala anymore. We, we've had an audience with some, we've had about 130 school children here yep. today and there was lots of amazing questions yeah. that were coming from these kids. <laughs> Did you see yourself in the kids that were here today? Yeah. Was that, was that yep. you? Were you that kid? Yeah, yeah. so I, I was absolutely that kid. Um, I, 
I sort of breezed over it in the talk, but I was their age when I saw Andy Thomas being selected as Australia's first professional astronaut. Like, that was the age group that I was part of when I saw that on the 6 o'clock news. And I spun around to my parents at the time and said, that's what I want to do when I grow up. And they said, not unless you become an American, um, because that was the reality. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Andy Thomas had become a US citizen to yes. join. And, uh, yes, yeah, but I was definitely that kid. I was like, I didn't know that Australians could do that. Mm. Um, how do I get involved? How do I... and I, I suppose the military drew me away from that aspect of my personality for a long time. It was very task-focused. This is what you've got to do. You've got to do these things to keep people alive, blah, blah, blah. Since I've left that, I've really cultivated that that aspect of my personality that wants to learn more, wants to study, wants to go and explore caves. You know, let's find out if this goes further or, you know, this is where the line has gone to so far, but maybe there's something that someone else has missed, so let's go and check it out. So... There's a lot of curiosities. I think a lot of folks who call themselves explorers in particular are actually just curious. Like, it's not that they're explorers. It's just that they want to go and see something that, you know, let's let's fill in the gaps on the map. Um, and we call them explorers, but they're really just big curious kids that want to go and discover stuff. Josh is the author of two books, Becoming Martian and Cosmic Nomad both of which are about to hit the shelves here of the Mount Gambia Library, so keep an eye out for those. And if you'd like to keep up to date on Josh's adventures while he's here on Earth, you can follow him on both Twitter and Instagram by searching for him via mighty underscore ginge. As always, thank you for listening to Don't Overdo It, a podcast from the Mount Gambia Library.